there's a lot of things in our life that we can have an awe for God. And I guess that's to, one of the questions I asked myself was, how have I expressed his marvelous works today? Have I told someone of the goodness of God today? And it's, it's within our power just to express God's goodness and how awesome he is. And I would like to just read... Um, uh, chapter 19 in Psalms. You want to read with me or listen along? Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuits to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. There's a um, video series done by Michael W. Smith. He sings, Our God is an Awesome God. And that song keeps going through my head. Our God is an Awesome God. And Emery, she loves to sing it with me. It's kind of cute. <clears throat> I would sing it for you, but I'm not going to do that. He created you. And me, he created all the plants and the animals, and it is marvelous. It's awesome to think about what he has done and to think that people just don't want to accept that. God's handiwork, declaring his awesomeness. Our God is an awesome God. Let's share that with people. Let's interact. Let's teach that to our kids. Let's teach it to our kids. And I'm not trying to say how I know that looks, but it's just the one example he gave us, um, this was Trent, I forget his name, anyways, he was making bread, he likes to cook, and he used the yeast in the bread to rise the bread, and he was just simply talking to his son about how awesome yeast is, it's a simple little thing, and the son's like, you're weird, dad, but just simple little things like that in our lives. We can praise God. We can give him glory. We can give our kids an awe of how awesome he is. So that's kind of what was on my mind this week. 
And I, uh, I guess I would just like to challenge each of us to praise the Lord. Tell people how good he is. And you're going to get some kickback. People are maybe, maybe be offended. Maybe they don't believe in God. But most of the people I interact with usually believe in God. But it's out there. There's a, our culture is out there where they just don't want to follow God. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Okay, stand with me and we'll uh, have a little prayer time and the worship team can come up and lead us in um, song and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for your goodness your marvelous works, your creation. Lord, help us to treasure each and every one here. You've made us unique and your creation it just ex- ex- explains itself about you. I pray that we can um, offer praise and worship and adoration and awe. Lord, you are an awesome God. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.
You paint the night. You count the stars and you call them by name. The skies proclaim God you reign. Your glory shines. You teach the sun when to bring a new day. Creation sings God you reign. God you
Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we praise you. For endless days, we will sing your praise. Lord, we thank you that we can be here this morning, that we can lift your name above all names. Father, may, be, may you be exalted this morning as we praise you. Lord, as your word is proclaimed, we thank you now. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. I don't know if it's better than in the past, but it sure was blessed me today. So thank you, worship team. I really, uh, really am blessed. So and we're going to finish chapter nine. We're getting closer. And I know that if you have been reading ahead at all, it's um, you and me both wondering where the Lord's going to take the next couple chapters, because there's some uh, interesting stuff going on even for today. And I am <coughs> excited to see what the Lord brings. Uh, for each time that we go through, because the scripture is alive, and what we want it to do is we want it to point people to Jesus, because that's what everything in scripture does that points people to Jesus, and so if we can assist with that in any way, that is what our hope is this morning. If you want to turn to Genesis chapter 9, we're going to read verses 18 through 28. Genesis chapter 9 Verses 18 through 28. Now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk, and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years. And he died. So we have been following Noah now for a little while, a few weeks. And we talk about what Noah has accomplished to this point. He built an ark in a place where there was no water. He trusted that the Lord was going to provide what was needed. The Lord did provide what was needed. He may have gone through some ridicule in doing that, but his faith didn't waver. And we get towards the end of Noah's life, and he doesn't end on a real hot note here, but it doesn't negate what we've been learning to this point. We can still learn from Noah. Noah is still listed as a great person of faith because he did have faith in what God was doing. He did, he was obedient in following what God had said to do. And so, yes, this portion of Noah's life isn't his best moment. But it doesn't get rid of everything else that he's done. And sometimes uh, we, we hear about um, uh, famous, uh, famous, well-known, whatever you want to use, Christian leaders that have done a lot of good. They've shared the word with a lot of people. They have led a lot of people to Christ. And maybe as they go on in life, they're still human. And they can fall. They can fall into sin. 
just like any of us are capable of doing. It doesn't mean that we throw everything out. And I would encourage you, no matter who you're listening to, even listening to me, you have a Bible, get it out and read it and let the Holy Spirit point you to Jesus. Don't take it for what I say. You can read the same thing that I'm reading and you have the same Holy Spirit that I have that can guide you and lead you. And so the same in Noah's life. We don't throw Noah out because he messed up here in the end of his life. But what can we learn from his mistake? And that's what we're going to try to do this morning. And as I was reading through this, I was like, man, last week I thought maybe I should just do the whole chapter because I wasn't sure. But it felt like, no, we're going to cut it in half and we're going to take this section and we're going to see what God has for us this morning. So this is this last half of chapter 9. It tells about the remainder of Noah's life. So at this point, after the flood, he is about uh, 600 years old, give or take. Because at the end of the chapter, it says he lived 350 more years after the flood. So he still lived a long time after the flood happened. He was the third oldest, third oldest person to live, 950 years, only behind two other people. That's a long time to live. Noah did amazing things in his life. The faith that Noah showed when he was building the ark is incredible. And the faith that he showed in knowing and, and knowing that God was going to bring all those animals and God was going to provide for what was needed is incredible. It really is. So the flood has happened. They're off the boat. He, they waited, like we said a couple weeks ago, they waited for God to open that door, for God to say it's time to get out. And now here they are, the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. It d- does depict that immediately right here, that one of Ham's, Ham's sons was named Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. Because from the flood, remember, there were only the eight people that were on the ark. And from Noah's sons and their wives, the entire earth was populated again. So in a sense, we're starting over in the way that Adam and Eve were the only ones at the beginning. Now we have three couples that are here that are populating the entire earth. And so all of the rest of scripture is based on the descendants of these three. Just as Adam was a farmer or a uh, man of the soil, it says that Noah's new um, career, his encore career after shipbuilding, was farming, which I don't know which one would have been harder, but it says farming. Farming is a great career. That's what I get to do when I'm not up here, and I love it. I enjoy it. There's a lot of you out here that do the same. But this is what Noah decided to do. Proverbs 12, 11 says, He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. There's nothing wrong with farming. It's a good, it's a good career, but there's also still temptations, just like there is in any other career. We're all still the same people. We all struggle with the same temptations, so Noah plants a vineyard. And obviously, if you know anything about vineyards, between verses 20 and 21, there had to be two to three years that passed because the vineyard doesn't produce right after you plant it. So there's a couple years at least that pass right there. And this is what Noah did. He starts growing grapes, puts in a vineyard. 
Again, nothing wrong with what he's doing. The problem came when Noah became drunk. And this is what it talks about. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Verse 21, then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. Now, when you, I've not ever been drunk, but when you get drunk, you do different things than you might normally do. And maybe things that you're not really very proud of. So here's Noah. He's been drinking from the crop that he grew, which there's nothing, that's to be normal. If you, we get to grow apples. And so when we go out in the fall and the apples are ripe and to be able to pick an apple and eat one right off the tree after you've spent the whole season growing it, there's just, that's pretty satisfying. To go out and, we have people that grow grapes here, to go out and be able to taste those grapes, it's just, it's very satisfying to know that you put the work in, you put the time in, God blessed it, and now you get to see the fruits of your labor. This is what Noah was doing. This is the way I look at it. And I'm just using my own interpretation here, but this is the way that I look at it. So Noah's enjoying the fruits of his labor, but maybe he enjoyed them a little bit too much. And you can go into the whole thing about drinking wine and whether it's good or whether it's bad, you got to decide for yourself what you're going to do with that. I'm not saying it's bad. The Bible talks about using wine for your stomach. But that's between you and God. I'm not going to stand up here and say you should or you shouldn't. That's between you and God. But Noah is using it unwisely here in the fact that he got drunk and he finds himself laying in his tent with nothing on. It seems like that would be a little embarrassing. But here comes... Here comes, well, actually, let's read a couple more verses first. <clears throat> Proverbs 20 and verse 1. It says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It doesn't say you shouldn't. It doesn't say it's wrong. It said, if you're led astray by it, it's not wise. And I just picture this is where Noah's at. He's maybe been led astray by this. It wasn't really a wise move on his part, but this is where he finds himself. 1 Corinthians. Chapter 10. Verses 12 and 13. And it says this, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Temptations come everywhere in life. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you're farming a vineyard, if you're working for somebody else, if you're working at a restaurant. It, it doesn't really, construction, it doesn't matter what you're doing. There's temptation everywhere. And it says that, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Be aware that when you think you're doing really well and you don't think you have anything you're struggling with, take heed. Take heed, lest he fall. And I can't help but wonder if this is where Noah was. Hey, we survived the flood. We built the boat. God took care of us. Now we're going to go into farming. Things are looking really, really good. But in 1 Corinthians it says, Let, he, let him who thinks he stands take heed, 
lest he fall. That can apply to every single one of us. I don't care where we're at in life. That can apply to all of us. But God will provide a way out of temptation. But because God provides a way doesn't mean that he shoves us in that direction. We still have to take that way to avoid the temptation. God will provide it. So Noah is drunk. He's laying in his tent naked, and his son Ham comes in. Now, this isn't Ham's problem. He's not the one that got drunk. He's not the one laying naked in his tent. But here he comes. And so in my, as I'm reading through this, I'm like, good grief, what's Noah's deal? Because, you know, he's the one that got drunk, and now he's going to blame Ham for what he did. But there's a couple of things that are happening here. Ham did not handle things correctly either. Because Exodus 20 and verse 12 says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, the way Ham handled this, I don't think was very honoring to his father. Because it says, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Two things. It's one thing if he walks in and sees his dad and turns right around and heads back out. Okay, that would have probably been the proper way to handle it. But apparently that's not what he did. I don't know what was going through his mind. I'm not even going to try to speculate. But he walked in and he didn't leave right away, apparently. He looked more than once, maybe. Again, with temptation, there's things that we see. You can't go anywhere. You can't look at anything where temptation's not there. But the question is, and when temptation becomes real, or, or how we, what we do with it is what is important. Do we look again? Do we take a second or a third or a fourth look? Or do we turn and run? Because God provides a way out of temptation if we're willing to take it. <clears throat> and I don't think Ham took it. I don't think Ham took the way out of temptation. So two things that he did that were not very honoring to his father is that he looked and saw his father. The second thing was, again, when he stared at his father's nakedness, this seems like it's Noah's problem, not Ham's. But when Ham came in and didn't run from the temptation, that's when he turned to sin. The second thing he did is he went out and he told his two brothers. Now, I don't know what that would have looked like. I don't know if he was... Making fun of his dad? If he was he uh, uh, gossiping about his father? Hey, you got to come look at this. Dad's laying in his tent, drunk, naked. I, I don't know how it came across. However it was, it was not honoring to his father at all. So regardless of Noah's mistake, now Ham has also made a mistake. And if you read in Exodus which I think I will read, chapter 34. And this is where Moses is getting the <clears throat> tablets with the Ten Commandments for the second time. He's making new, new tablets. And it says in 34 and, and verse 6, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I read that because sins of 
parents or grandparents, if not dealt with properly, can pass on for generation after generation after generation. If you did something that you're not proud of, and now your kids come up, and you still know that you're not proud of what you did, and you don't really want them to find out, and you've not really properly dealt with it. When we do marriage counseling with people, the one thing that I, I, oft, I tell them, and I tell them often, is that if there's something in your family's life that you know about and you want to do differently, you have to be intentional about changing that. It can be changed, but you have to be very intentional about changing that because the sins of the parents can pass on to the third and fourth generations. This uh, parenting class that we're taking and going through, one of the things that he pointed out in Judges, when Joshua was leading the children of Israel and they're conquering and they're defeating people and they march around Jericho and the walls fall down and all of this is happening, the next generation after them did not have an idea of how they got to where they were. One generation. One. So that's like me not telling my kids about who God is. In one generation. They're not just going to automatically pick it up. In the same way that they're not just going to automatically drop any stronghold that is in our lives. You have to be intentional about it. You have to be intentional about telling them about who Jesus is. You have to be intentional about saying, hey look, this is what I did when I was younger, and I'm not proud of it, and I messed up. I've asked for forgiveness, and I want to move on, and I don't want this to pass on to you. That's how intentional you need to be about those things. It can be done. Is it easy? Not at all. Do you feel like doing it? Absolutely not. But if we don't, if we're not proactive in this, your kids will end up doing the same thing that you did. It can be passed to the third and fourth generations. Let's remember that. Let's be aware of this. And let's learn a little bit from the life of Noah right here. That Noah, later in life, he messed up. He messed up. Noah's sin became a stumbling block for his kids. At least for one of them. Are the things that we struggle with becoming a stumbling block for our children or for somebody else, for that matter? <clears throat> do we consider that decisions we make and things that we do could cause someone to stumble? Do we consider that? Do we think about that? Do we process these things? Because a lot of times we are living life and we're just doing what we do and being who we are and we maybe don't realize that certain decisions that we make may affect people differently than what we realize. And for this reason, I say, stay in the word. Keep your eyes on Christ. Are we going to mess up? Yes, we are going to mess up. We have the human nature inside of us. But with the Holy Spirit, hopefully we can minimize those times. And hopefully when those times come, we can be very proactive in asking for forgiveness and making things right. I want to read Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 5. It says, Brethren, 
But a man is overtaken in trespass. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Are we willing to walk alongside someone who is struggling or someone who is hurting or discouraged or who has sinned? Are we willing to walk alongside of them and help them back? Who am I to do that? I got my own struggles. Why would, I, why would the Lord ask me to walk alongside somebody else that's struggling with sin as well? I got my own problems to deal with. But it also says, be aware that you don't fall as well. But are we, will, are we willing to walk alongside people? Are we willing to do that? Or do we just say, you know what, that's their own problem. They made their mess. They could clean it up. That's really easy to say. I can't say that I haven't done that before. But are we willing? Are we willing to take the time that's needed? Are we willing to spend the time to walk alongside somebody that might need that help? So we get back to Genesis. Noah wakes up. Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. So... uh, before we get to that point, the other two sons, so, so Ham sees his father, he goes out, tells his other two brothers, and it says his two brothers came over, let's see what it says, but Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. So the other two brothers had a little bit more sense, maybe. I don't know, I still can't help but think that Ham just happened to walk in. I have no idea what happened. But he took it from that to all of a sudden this big ordeal. But his two brothers had a little more sense. They came in backwards. They didn't see their father naked. They covered him up, and then they left him be for the rest of the night, apparently. So Noah wakes up the next day, and he knows what Ham did. He knows what Ham did. So it's really interesting to me that this is how Noah handles the situation. Again, I, I can't help but wonder if Noah's trying to blame somebody else for his mistake. This is what it seems like because it says, cursed be Canaan. Canaan is his grandson. This is who he's cursing. Not cursing Ham. He's cursing Ham's son. Again, we're already moving things from one generation to the next generation. A servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. And then he proceeds to bless, say, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So Shem and Japheth did the more honorable thing in covering their father and helping him cover up his mistake, possibly. But then Noah wakes up and... I can't help but think that how often we try to pass the blame. 
If we made a mistake, if I make a mistake, it can be, okay, if we're working in our orchard, and I've got about 10 or 12 people working for me right now, and if they do something that's not what I wanted, it's really easy just to blame them. But the fact of the matter is, if I didn't specifically tell them what I wanted done, that's my fault. That's not their fault. How often do we try to pass that blame? Uh, we love to pass the blame. Oh, man. If we can get out of it and we don't have to take responsibility for it, whew, that's a good day. But the better thing, the nobler thing, the right thing to do is to accept responsibility when we've made a mistake. I don't feel like Noah is accepting this responsibility right here. He's trying to pass the blame, cursing his own grandson. Our tendency today is to blame someone else for our own problem or just hide it so nobody ever knows. We can be good at that too. But hiding it so nobody can ever find out just eats at you like crazy. Have you ever done something that you know wasn't right? You didn't ever tell anybody? You didn't make it right? And you just think that it'll just go away eventually? doesn't go away. It might go away for a while, but all of a sudden something else happens or you observe something that somebody else did and all of a sudden here it comes right back. And you know that even though it was 10 or 15 years ago or whatever, however long, much time has passed, you know that you haven't dealt with it properly and you need to go back and fix it. You need to go back, back and make it right. And that is difficult. As difficult as it seems to take responsibility for something at the time that it happens, it can be even more difficult and more uncomfortable to go back to fix something that happened years ago. Is it not easier to just take responsibility right off the bat? One thing that is interesting that comes out is Ham's son is named Canaan. If you go forward, the, one of the references that it brought up was in, into 1 Kings. Because it says that the God of, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant, and the same thing with Jacob, or excuse me, Japheth, may Canaan be his servant. If you go to 1 Kings, when Solomon is now king, Israel has come in and they have conquered who? The land of Canaan. Isn't that interesting? Of course, we know that from these three people, the whole earth was populated, so these people had to come from somewhere. But right off the bat, right here, Noah curses Canaan, who proceed to live in the land that would someday become Israel. And these are the people, years down the road, that their relatives are defeating and conquering. But when, when you look into 1 Kings, when Solomon was king, and one thing that it talks about is how he took, because when Israel conquered all of the land of Canaan and they were driving people out, there were some people that they did not drive out. There were some people that were left. And in 1 Kings, Solomon took those people that were left and made them his servants. Which, going clear back to Noah's time, made sense. Because Noah said that Canaan would be servants of his brothers. And way down the line, this is exactly what happened. This is just God... Everything that we're reading, everything that we're looking at points to Christ. It all points to Christ. 
Are we trying to blame somebody else for the mistakes that we made instead of taking responsibility for them? Let's stand with one another. You can't do it on your own. Well, but I have the Lord. Yes, you do have the Lord. You're right. And that's what's going to make the difference. But sometimes the Lord chooses to use brothers and sisters in Christ to build you up. So we do need each other. One more verse that I would like to read before we're done, and that's in James chapter 4. Verses 7 through 12, it says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Two things out of there. The one of them that is, I like verse 10, that says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Are we willing to humble ourselves before God. And the second one is, it says, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? There's been a lot of times that I will make the comment, I'm glad I'm not the judge of people because I don't think I'd let people last very long. God's the judge. It's not my job. My job is to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit says, That person is struggling. I need you just to go be with that person. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry worry about what you're going to do. I just need you to go be with that person. Are we willing to do that? It's not fun. It's not exciting. But if that's what the Lord is asking you to do, are we willing to stand alongside our brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's not pass the blame. Let's accept responsibility for things that we've done. Let's make sure that it doesn't pass on. There are things we want to pass on to our third and fourth generation, but there's other things that we do not want to pass on to the next generations, and let's make sure we keep those separate. Let's make sure we know what those things are, and let's make sure that we're passing on the right things and accepting blame for the things that we have done. Tony is going to come and sing a song for us. Tony, if you want to come, we're going to pray, and when he is done, We can all be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your love this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to recognize what it is that you're working on in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to accept responsibility for things that you are working on us for. We love you and we thank you for your greatness. We thank you for all the things that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that we can be continually reminded that everything in Scripture points to you. Help us to see it. Help us to study it. I pray you guide our week. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified through everything that we do and say. In your name we pray. Amen.